Welcome to Full Disclosure. Every Wednesday morning here on the WMAY Morning News Feed, we check in with the Better Government Association. David Grising is the president and CEO, and David, still a lot of loose ends left to tie up from the legislative session. And let's start with one of the big things that's happened since we last convened. Uh, it was about one week ago. Governor J.B. Pritzker telling reporters that he had not even reviewed the legislative district maps, and then a day later, he had signed them. And uh, now those are officially the maps, at least for the moment, uh, although we suspect that there will be legal challenges and that this battle is not yet done. Uh, give us your sense of, as, as to where this stands, and, and can the governor and Democrats make a case that these maps are indeed, quote, fair, unquote, because of what they do to address the concerns of communities of color around the state? Well, uh, Governor Pritzker, in an interview, uh, he did a flurry of interviews, said that he really loves his job and he's not tired. And that's pretty amazing because he must have pulled an all-nighter the night before he signed the map because, uh, you know, he said he was going to study it. And that those were in evening interviews that he was giving. Uh, and first thing the next morning, it was signed. So... Uh, I don't know what sort of deep research he did into all the issues regarding uh, equity and fair representation, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, th this has been really a disappointing issue for him. He said as a candidate that he backed the idea of ind an independent commission. He walked away from that, obviously. Uh, he really provided very little leadership in the process itself. And then he signed what pretty much, you know, with a very little time to review it, signed a map that was handed to him that was clearly uh, gerrymandered uh, in order to favor the Democratic Party and to secure uh, the supermajorities in both houses of the Illinois legislature. So uh, I don't think there's a fair argument to be made that that communities of color were protected. I don't think a fair argument is to be made that uh, that this is a bipartisan effort. Um, uh, the whole commission thing being thrown out um, uh, on a technicality because it didn't get a constitutional amendment in the, in the governor's mind, uh, it's disappointing all the way around. You know, uh, it's anybody's guess what may happen once this does ultimately go to court. It's my understanding that the courts have generally ruled that uh, simple partisan advantage is not enough of a reason to toss out maps. Uh, but are there potential landmines for the Democrats here? Uh, mainly the fact that, again, these maps rely on preliminary data, not the official census numbers. So does this uh, potentially get tossed uh, first to the courts and then ultimately to what they were hoping to avoid all along, which is effectively a coin toss. Well, it, it certainly will go to the courts, but but the map, maps in general have always been challenged on, on, on legal grounds. I'm not aware of anything that requires, for example, uh, uh, the map making to use the uh, sense the actual census data as inaccurate as the American Community Survey what is, and that's what was used for this purpose. Um, it, it's it, there's no legal uh, um, bar against that data being used. Uh, and also, when you think about it, the longer term, Jim, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has said that map making is a political issue. That is the latest word from the U.S. Supreme Court. So even if a uh, an objector would win at the uh, uh, lower court level, ultimately the U.S. Supreme, if it gets the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court almost certainly would kick, would either deny 
uh, even hearing the case, or kick it back, saying, "Sorry, this is a political matter. You all you know, need to solve your politics. Uh, we're not going to get involved." So I don't see the the court process as being uh, something that's really going to change the outcome here. David Grising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association, here with us on full disclosure. Of course, yesterday we got the word that uh, another major unresolved issue from the spring session will be getting votes next week as the Senate and then the House return to Springfield to take up this energy legislation. And we have been told there is a deal. This will have uh, impact for taxpayers and ratepayers all across the state. It could have a dramatic impact on the customers of City Water, Light, and Power here in Springfield. Uh, but w what we don't know is what exactly is in the deal. We haven't seen this in writing yet. We don't know exactly how this plays out. But the uh, the ramifications are enormous, uh, not just, again, for the utilities themselves, but for every person who uses electricity in the state of Illinois. Right. And and the, you mentioned City Light and Power. And of course, uh, there's a lot of attention on uh, the Prairie State uh, development uh, that serves numerous communities uh, across Illinois. And that also uh, those communities are, in, in in a way, investors in that plant because they, um, um, they sold bonds in order to help raise money for that project. And both of those uh, have the same problem. Those are coal-fired plants. Uh, they don't don't fit into the overarching plan to phase out coal by 2035. That date was extended uh, in order to give a further transition time. Uh, Governor Pritzker has seemed to indicate that those plants are not part of this deal, but um, we don't know yet until we see. Uh, I don't think there's a very solid economic argument for maintaining uh, to extending the life of those plants. Uh, but this is not really an economic question. This is a political question. And if those, if votes of uh, these various, um, uh, say, communities like Naperville, Winneka, St. Charles, Geneva, Batavia, uh, all of them participants in Prairie State, if those votes were needed to get to a deal, then maybe it'll stay in. Um, I, I would hope not, frankly, because it, that would be bad policy to bail out these towns that made a very poor decision uh, to back this plant. Well, we, uh, of course, are, are focused on it here as well, because, as you noted, we also have uh, a plant that is being paid off with bonds, bonds that will not be fully paid off by 2035. So raising the prospect that uh, local customers may still be paying for bonds for a plant that would be sitting idle at that point. Uh, and with all that focus down here, we haven't focused as much on the Exelon angle on this and the prospect of the state paying subsidies to Exelon, a very profitable company, to keep operating unprofitable nuclear power plants uh, in the state just because these uh, plants are low emission and generally considered part of a green energy portfolio. Uh, and David, it just raises the well raises a couple of questions. One, does it make economic sense to continue to prop up these plants if they can't actually turn a profit? And then number two, uh, how much sway does Exelon still have given that their subsidiary Commonwealth Edison is at the heart of a major federal investigation that's been reaching into some of the highest levels of power here in the state, uh, it seems pretty remarkable that uh, there's a lot of lawmakers uh, seemingly lining up to do Exelon's bidding still. Well, Jim, you and I have talked about this for a few times now during the session, and I, you know, it's always been my view not to underestimate the lobbying fortitude and uh, professionalism of ComEd's lobbyists. Yeah, they uh, 
it, you know, they broke laws. There's no doubt they've admitted to breaking laws uh, in in the, the lobbying uh, under the Mike Madigan regime. But that didn't mean that they were going to kind of close up shop and go home. Uh, they know their business better than anybody else does. They know where all the nooks and crannies are in order to gain advantage from these tiny little codicils in this very complicated uh, language of uh, utility regulation bill. And they've uh, they've effectively gotten $600 million of, uh, of subsidy from ratepayers over five years in order to keep those plants alive. We're not even beginning to deal with the question of decommissioning those plants. The bill for that won't be paid by Commonwealth Edison. It'll be paid by ratepayers as well. And so, um, you know, this is what life is like in, in, in a state with a very powerful utility. Uh, we're not the only state that way. Just utilities in general have tended to dominate uh, the regulatory environment, even when it's a so-called deregulated environment. And so uh, Commonwealth Edison has fared very well. You're right. They're politically, nobody wants to be seen uh, touching them. But um, but they're, it's un, undoubted that uh, many people are willing to carry their water because it it means jobs in many communities, and historically, it also it is uh, they've had a lot of political largesse that they've spread around. We'll be able to discuss this in a, a great more detail and depth next week, by which time we'll have seen a bill. The Senate will apparently have acted on it next Tuesday. The House comes in next Wednesday to do the mop-up work on that. So that'll, I'm sure, be a big focus uh, when we gather here again next Wednesday morning. All right, we are back on full disclosure with the Better Government Association. David Grising is the president and CEO, one of the BGA's big issues in this legislative session that has not entirely quite wrapped up yet was ethics. But what we actually got very late in the session was a watered-down ethics bill that uh, I guess David barely qualifies as ethics reform. Many of the uh, good government and watchdog groups such as the BGA have already weighed in very critically about this. And even Governor J.B. Pritzker is suggesting it's inadequate, but not yet suggesting what he's going to do about it. Yeah, this is one of the most astounding developments in a really disappointing uh, story of how the state government has responded to this huge public corruption uh, investigation that touched on so many people, including uh, the longest serving House Speaker in the history of the United States. And uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, after really sit, sitting on the sidelines during this entire process, and that includes when the commission didn't meet when it was supposed to have met, when a separate uh, commission, clear, uh, investigative commission, clearly was not doing a serious job of looking into the charges against former, now former Speaker Madigan, et cetera. Governor Pritzker really provided very little leadership on the question. And now a bill comes through that he says he's disappointed by. But he also says he doesn't. He, he has his own ideas, but he's not going to share them. Uh, he's going to leave it up to his colleagues in the legislature in order to, to advance the ethics agenda uh, during the next session. And frankly, um, that's just not what leadership is. On, on one of the key issues facing the state, uh, where we have a serious problem as manifested in the indictment of a number of uh, sitting state uh, representatives and also uh, um, uh, you know, Madigan going down because he's in the crosshairs, although he says he did nothing wrong, he's in the crosshairs of this Commonwealth Edison investigation. Uh, the, for the governor to say, I don't like this bill, 
they ought to do better, but it's really up to them because they're the legislature. It's it's very, very disappointing and really, really surprising, frankly, uh, given that a governor clearly plans to run for reelection. And this is an issue that matters a lot to voters. Yeah, it, it would be great politics to come out with a very tough uh, ethics package and essentially dare lawmakers to uh, to vote it down and uh, then to use your political muscle. Uh, the governor with uh, the latest survey this week showing him with a 57 7% approval rating. That's a fair amount of political capital that you can use to try to get something like that through if you really wanted to get it done. But um, it, it, as you said, it's uh, easy to talk a good game about ethics, but it's uh, quite a bit harder to uh, to walk the walk. Uh, and no indication yet. I mean, uh, certainly the governor expressing his disapproval, you might wonder, well, could he veto this? Could he issue an amendatory veto? But we haven't really gotten an indication on that. No, we have not gotten a strong indication on that, but um, the reporting so far seems to indicate that it's likely that the, he will sign the bill. He has not said whether or not he will, um, uh, but um, the, the comments he made, the, the most dispositive comments he's made on this were to Greg Hines at Crane Chicago Business, and they seem to indicate uh, that while he's disappointed he didn't there in any way say, I'm not going to sign it. And he, in fact, was looking forward to kind of the next round. Uh, you know, the, the argument that several of the lawmakers made, this is a good first step, which, by the way, is incorrect. It is not a good first step. But that argument uh, seems to presuppose that there will be another round of ethics reform next time the legislature is in the session. But frankly, the history shows us that uh, after scandals in Illinois, including, for example, after the Rod Blagojevich scandal, um, the, the legislature passes something, anything, so that they can claim they've done something, and then they, they move on as fast as they possibly can. And so the momentum for reform was here. Uh, the momentum for reform likely will not have the energy during the next uh, next session or, or during the veto session even uh, that, that it had in the last year. And so the, la the best chance for sweeping ethics reform has been missed, and that's due to lack of leadership uh, in large measure due to lack of leadership in part by Governor Pritzker and also the, the legislative leaders, uh, Don Harmon and Chris Welch, have to bear some responsibility for this as well. Uh, they have the ability to really push an agenda and to leave it to the lawmakers who uh, who did really didn't undertake a serious effort at reform uh, and seem to do something to kind of do a little bit, hopefully enough to satisfy the public and move on. That seems to be what has happened. David Grassing, only a couple of minutes left here. And just real quickly, I'm hoping you can touch on an issue that will be huge in the city of Chicago when the House takes it up next week. That's the issue of whether to move to a fully elected Chicago school board. Uh, we don't talk about it much down here, but it does have implications for education uh, around the state and for the finances of the city of Chicago. But it's, I'm sure, perplexing to a lot of local listeners because all of our school boards are elected down here. So why is this a big deal for Chicago? Well, in fact, all of the school boards in the state, except for the school board of the city of Chicago, uh, are elected school boards. And so that Chicago has always been an exception. Uh, that's because um, the Chicago school system got to be in such bad shape uh, in the 1980s and such that uh, the, there was a move to put the schools under the control of the mayor 
of the city of Chicago. And now that now that it looks like that is going to come to an end, it, it's really at this point only a question of how quickly it happens. Uh, there are a lot of questions. You you mentioned money. Uh, there is a question about whether Chicago will continue to financially support the schools if the schools are not under uh, the direction of the mayor of the city of Chicago. I can't imagine a mayor of Chicago not funding the Chicago schools, but one could see a mayor saying, listen, that's not, I have nothing to do with that. And um, the CPS, which already is is on the ropes financially, CPS now needs to raise all of the funds it needs in order to operate. I doubt that'll actually happen. This is the sort of scaremongering that is happening on the mayor's side uh, uh, to try to push through as as long a, a transition period as possibly as she possibly can. Uh, but but that is one of the issues that's being discussed as the, that and and the uh, the utility regulation will be the two issues, main issues, when the legislature reconvenes next week. So we'll have uh, plenty to talk about during these dog days of summer in the weeks to come, and we'll be back here next Wednesday morning. In the meantime, David Grising, how do people reach you and the Better Government Association the rest of the week? I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org. And my website, or our website is bettergov.org. And we'll talk to you next Wednesday morning. David, thanks so much for your time, as always. We appreciate thank, it. Thank, love it, Jim. Thanks very much.